Section 2 of Sermons to Children by Sabine Baring Gould. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Sermon 2. The Two Ideals. Christmas. St. Luke, chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Christmas Day. The day of holly boughs with their scarlet berries decorating the church and stuck about in your homes over the pictures on the chimney-piece, everywhere. The day of good cheer, of interchange of good wishes, of kindly greetings, of affectionate words. The day of drawing closer the ties of relationship and of friendship, and of remembering the poor, and dealing out kindness to all. The day of bells joyously ringing, of carols gaily sung, of churches filled with happy faces and thankful hearts, of the altar spread with fine linen in honor of the word made flesh. It seems to me that just as there is an abundance of beautiful presents hanging on the Christmas tree, so there is an abundance of beautiful lessons that hang from Christmas. And I have some hesitation about which to choose and which, my children, to give to you. However, on former feasts of the Nativity you have been told of the humility of Christ in thus abasing himself to become man, of the love of Christ in taking upon him our flesh to redeem us, of the doctrine of the Incarnation the union of the two natures, the Godhead and the manhood, into one Christ, of the glory that is due to God for having sent his Son into the world, of the peace on earth wrought by the Incarnation, of the good will manifested toward us by our Maker and Redeemer and Sanctifier. So, now I will take quite another topic, one I think that has not been touched on before. I will show you two men at the same time, governed by two ideas, and how they carried out their ideas, and what the results were. One of these men is Augustus, the emperor of Rome. The other is the man, Christ Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth. Now, what do you suppose was the governing idea that filled the mind of Augustus? Listen to his story. Rome was at one time a republic, and it had a famous general, Julius Caesar, who, as you know, conquered Britain. Some of the people in Rome were suspicious of Julius Caesar. They thought, as he was at the head of the army, that he would take advantage of his power to upset the government and make himself head of the state. So a conspiracy was formed, and he was murdered. Great confusion followed this crime. Because Julius Caesar had a nephew named Octavius and a friend named Mark Anthony, and these two united with an old officer called Lepidus of the army of Julius Caesar, to punish the conspirators. Octavius was a cold-hearted, crafty young man of eighteen. He thought in his own mind that he must use the other two for his own purpose, to crush his enemies, and to destroy all the supporters of the old government, so that the whole of power should get into the hands of these three. Then Octavius resolved that he would find some means of making away with Mark Antony and Lepidus, so that all the known world might fall into his own power. These three men drew up long lists of those whom they feared and had them put to death. It was not only their enemies who thus died, but many of those whose lands or wealth they coveted, and among these were young children whose estates had excited their avarice. Distrust, terror, and bloodshed prevailed throughout Italy. After a while Octavius got rid of Lepidus, and while he felt himself strong enough, he picked a quarrel with Mark Antony fought against him and defeated him, 
and Mark Antony killed himself rather than fall into the hands of Octavius. Octavius now found himself master of the Roman world. He took the name of Augustus, which signifies something sacred or set apart, like a temple, and made himself emperor. He took into his own hands the powers of all the magistrates, and became absolute monarch. He was the first Roman emperor. Now see what this man had set before him from early youth as his leading principle, his great ambition, the idea on which he molded his actions. He thought to himself, I will be the head of everything. All power shall be gathered together into my hands. The army shall fight and conquer to increase my kingdom, to enhance my glory. The people shall no longer be free and allowed to appoint their own magistrates. I will be the fountain of all authority. All officers and magistrates and governors shall represent me and act in my name, and exercise their jurisdiction only because I give it to them. The whole world shall be a great circle, and I shall be its center. All its honors and glory shall come to me. The world shall do me homage. The fleets shall bring me the tribute of foreign climes. All that there is in the world that is costly, beautiful, and to be desired shall become my spoil. The world shall be but one vast tributary to my lust of power and pleasure. In one word, the idea of Augustus was to make all the world the minister of self. That was his theory. That was the theory on which the Roman Empire was founded and on which the ensuing Roman emperors acted. It was the theory of government Augustus had set up and on which his successors entered. Now look into one corner of this great empire, in the reign of this same Caesar Augustus. At Bethlehem, the Son of God became incarnate. At Nazareth, he was brought up in his foster father's shop. In the boyish mind of Jesus, one great idea reigned. He, like Octavius, had got his theory of life and empire. And what was it? It was exactly the reverse of that of Augustus at every point. He was about to go among men and to be found a kingdom. But how? By self-sacrifice. The leading idea of Christ Jesus was not to make self the center to which everything must conduce, to which everyone must be sacrificed, but to sacrifice self, self-love, self-pride, self-will, comfort, pleasure, life even, for others. At Nazareth he worked, not for self, but for Joseph and his mother. When he went out on his ministry, he went to impart to men his lesson, self-sacrifice for others. He hungered and thirsted for others. He labored and suffered for others. He manifested his divine power, not for self-assertion, but for the healing or convincing of others. He gathered about him apostles as foundation stones of his kingdom, but it was for the sake of others, as he was about to withdraw from his kingdom, out of sight, till the fullness of time. He prayed for others. He sweated drops of blood, endured agony for others. He was betrayed, scourged, denied, crowned with thorns, stripped of his raiment, nailed to the tree of scorn, died for others. He rose from the grave for others. He ascended into heaven for others. He rose to become the first fruits of them that slept. He ascended into heaven to prepare a place for us. He sent the Holy Ghost, still thinking of and loving others, 
when he himself was in glory. See you, dear children, what a contrast this is to the life of Augustus, and what a contrast of purposes. Now, what has been the working out of these two ideas? The empire of Rome, built up on selfishness, is no more. It is gone utterly. It broke to pieces and fell away, and its place knoweth it not. The empire of Jesus Christ, built upon self-sacrifice, exists still. As the empire of selfishness crumbled to ruin, the empire of self-sacrifice grew strong and spread. The Roman Empire exists only as a name in history. The Church of Christ lives and increases daily. Now, children, what is the idea you have set before you in life? Is it that of Augustus or that of Jesus? Is it self-glorification or self-sacrifice? Do you set before you as your ambition to do everything for self, to make the world serve self, to draw out of it money for self, and pleasure for self, and subserviency to self? If so, then you, in your little way, are an Augustus. You have his theory of life, and you will find out in the end that your empire of self-seeking will utterly fail and fall. But do you, on the other hand, desire to use this world without abusing it? To make your life one of utility to others? to employ your opportunities, whatever they are, in alleviating distress, in removing ignorance, in helping the weak, in raising the fallen, in doing something to relieve the sufferings of your fellow creatures, something to lighten their lives, to bring smiles back to sad faces and dry despairing tears? Why, then, your idea is that of Christ. You have the true Christian theory of life, and you will find out in the end that your empire of self-devotion will stand and extend. As you grow up, you will find that this world needs all the self-sacrifice that men can give to better it. It is full of dark places, made dark by those who follow the idea of Augustus, ruining others for their own advancement and pleasure. It is full of wounds, dealt by those who follow the idea of Augustus, exhibiting their power by despotic injustice. Society will need all of you, little Christians, to go forth into the midst of it as light-bearers, illuminating its dark places, as physicians, healing its wounds. End of section 2